If your game master doesn't look like you, like you're a stark raving idiot at least once a session, then you're playing it wrong. Welcome to Playing It Wrong. Podcasts about RPGs, fun, food, more RPGs. Grab your dice, sit back, and get ready to play it wrong. And welcome to another fun-filled episode of Playing It Wrong, the podcast where I try to entertain you by talking about gaming. Wow, lots of stuff going on. Um, I just uploaded a Patreon intro video to YouTube, so that is on the Patreon, and it's also on YouTube. And as I said in the video, I know that one of the goals of the Patreon is to start a YouTube channel, but I started a channel anyway to upload the video. So... There might be some stuff coming to that. I've got some ideas. We'll see what happens. It won't be as fast as often as a podcast or blog post, but some stuff might go up there, so stay tuned for that. So what else is going on? Hmm, let's see. It's time for the news. I want you to head on over to YouTube and check out the Frog God Games channel where there's an interview with Matt Finch about the upcoming sometime, no timeline yet, still in the planning stages of the Swords of Wizardry Kickstarter. All the details are there. Check it out and, well, just check it out. Um, Ignore the rumors. Um, Some of them are wild, but hey, check it out. Get the info from yourself from the man who wrote it himself. So, like I said, go ahead, check that video out. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Don't worry. And it's all good news. And let's move on to that good old... Session Summary. So, what was up in gaming last week? Oh, yes, and I'm sure you're going to notice that this podcast is coming out on Monday rather than Sunday, but I've earned some vacation, so I had a four-day weekend, so I was off wasting time and relaxing instead of recording podcasts. So if you want me to report, report, beep, beep, beep. Yes, this sounds really professional when I get tongue-tied. If you want to hear more podcasts, visit the Patreon. Well, you'll hear them anyway, but hey, visit it anyway. Anyway, <clears throat> gaming this last week, what did we do? We did Delta Green. How could I wrap this up with Delta Green? Well, my character's going insane. We're doing uh, music from a darkened room, in case you want to look that up. Nice little adventure, haunted house, and we're in the house, and things are now starting to go south. It's not a good time, and hey, well, I'm a scientist, so I'm coming with rational explanations for everything that comes up, even by techno babble that is bad by Star Trek standards. But that kind of gives me and leads me into the meat of this episode, which is, oh, sweet mystery of life, at last I have found you. Yes, I am channeling my inner Glenn Hallstrom, who talks about westerns and film noir and lots of movies, especially old classic movies, and their relation to gaming. But playing the Delta Green got me thinking about, well, let's talk about mysteries, how to run a mystery. And I'll tell you this, first of all, it's tough. Now, there is Gumshoe out there, which is specifically designed for running mysteries, and I haven't played it, I haven't looked at it. But I'm going to go off my experience with older traditional games of playing and running mysteries. We did a lot with Danger International, hero-based, but running a good mystery is kind of system neutral. Because you've got to 
look at a couple things. Let me start with the first thing. The first thing is the epitome of running a mystery. You've got to know when to and not to make skill rolls. That's the most important thing, because if they miss a vital clue because of a blown skill roll, well, the whole adventure kind of unravels. So maybe a clue to a clue for the blown rolls. So it's very hard for the DM to kind of do the cut and dried, make the skill roll, get the clue. Now, also on the mystery, you should... <sighs> I know this is a rule of thumb somewhere, but I'm putting it here. Three clues every scene. And kind of, when you're writing your, your mystery, chain the clues together. And I'm going to put clues in two different categories. The first category we're going to call physical clues. That's a ticket stub, a matchbook, fingerprints, forensic evidence, all that stuff that could lead to wherever the mystery leads to. And though it's fairly simple, and they kind of, the characters can make their own decisions and do their own research and follow these physical clues, which are quite, you know, easy to throw out there. And it's really neat if you use props, too, if you can find them, by the way. That's kind of the easy path. Now, here's the tough one, and that's the talking to people. These are the clues and, indi and indications you get when you're interviewing suspects or witnesses. Now, will the players listen? Will the players pick up that perhaps a particular NPC might not be truthful? And it's, like I said, it's still beyond skill rolls. As a good DM, you've got to roleplay the crap out of that and make sure that, and kind of reinforce it sometimes in a metagamey kind of way to make sure they understand things. And the other thing is, is make sure you have red herrings for them to follow up. But then again, if they get a hold of a red herring, there's a good chance they will follow that till the bitter end and exact vigilante justice on the wrong parties. But that can happen. You've got my two branches of evidence and where the, the player character is going to have to investigate. So let's talk about designing that mystery adventure. You've got your mystery. In a way, this is one of those times where it does make sense to write your adventure backwards because you're going to write the string of clues almost like a flowchart of how one leads to another to the final conclusion of the mystery. And in a way, that's it. Like I said, that toughest part is for the GM to role-play the NPCs, the cooperative, the uncooperative, the deceitful, the truthful, the plain ignorant. Now, you're going to also have one problem. You're going to have a problem player, possibly, unless they all buy into the genre, which is the one who will go ahead and use torture or whatever means necessary to find out information. Don't let them do that. Especially if you're playing something like a Call of Cthulhu game in the 1920s or modern, yeah, just no, 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 bad player character, bad, no, no, no. You know, that's a perfect time for player characters to face legal consequences of their actions. So I'm going to summer, sum, summer, I'm going to sum this up. I need to like the way I'm murdering English in this episode, and I had an extra day off too. Anyway, here it is. You take your mystery. You plot backwards. You mix both physical clues and we'll call the NPC clues together. You have your red herrings, and it's just a flow chart. One clue leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, leads to a conclusion. And, like I said, if you can find it, get props. 
and there's a lot of clues you could hide even deeper in the props when the player characters are looking at it. Because the players are looking at it. So you've got to use player brain, okay? But anyway, mysteries can be a great challenge and a great fun. So go ahead and try them. It's time for the news. This just in, not everybody likes the same kind of pizza. Really, they don't. Just take that for what you will. Think about it. And yes, I know, that's a second news break in one episode. I just felt like doing it. Anyway, let's go into D&D Boot Camp. This is D&D Boot Camp. Here you will learn about the Dungeons and the Dragons. <laughs> if you don't, you will die a horrible and embarrassing death. Your friends will loot your body and leave your cold corpse to be eaten by giant rats. Let's talk about dealing with jerks. Doesn't matter if it's another player, doesn't matter if the game master. A jerk's a jerk. And it boils down, you got two options. If they are, and, and a lot of the jerkiness depends on two things, content and intent. I should that wrong. That's not content, it's context. I really found it sounds stupid when I get words mixed up, don't I? Anyway, context and intent. Now, these are things, you, I mean, as, as, as a functioning adult, you should be able to figure out. But here's the deal. Step one is always talk to the people. And there's a good chance that even before you talk to them, you know it's going to go south. So in the modern world, there's no reason you cannot find games online. No game is better than a bad game. If you ain't having fun, if you feel uncomfortable, get the hell out. Just like the haunted house, get out. You can find other people online to game with via your computer or even in your local area with meetup or at your local gaming store or now a lot of times bars and other places have games going on. And you know, kind of, I don't do it that much. I don't play online that much. But every time I've had, it's been a great time. And I've met some wonderful people that I probably would have never met before if it hadn't been for doing so-called tabletop RPGs online. So if it's a bad game, bad environment, just walk away. Save your emotional currency. Do yourself a favor. And for God's sakes, do not take a jerk as the standard person who runs or plays a particular type of game. Just reach out there and see what's really out there on your own. Don't believe everything you read on the internet. And with that, we bring this episode of D&D Bootcamp, or I should say this session, or this segment of D&D Bootcamp to a close. And we're going to be moving on to uh, reading from the ancient tomes. And wow, this episode is going to be short. Wow. Anyway, here you go. Tomes of Ancient Forbidden Knowledge. And we are still on Supplement 1, Greyhawk, because it holds a special and dear place in my heart. And it's kind of long, and it's got a lot of stuff that kind of brought in well, what we modernly consider as D&D, as something that's been there from the beginning that not necessarily was. And if you've been keeping up from last episode, we are on 6th level magic user spells. 
where things get interesting. Well, they're always interesting, but anyway, things get really crazy here. So for 6th level, we've got three spells in here. One is kind of like eh, monster summoning four, which is like three, but one more. Whatever. We have repulsion, which enables the user to cause objects or entities to move in a course opposite from their intended course towards him. That is a, I'm going to read that. This is what it actually says. A spell which enables the user to cause objects or entities to move in a course opposite from their intended course towards him. Duration 6 turns, range 12 inches. I'm not sure what that means. That sentence is really badly worded. So if they intend to run away from you, they're actually going to run towards you then? So it's not kind of repulsion, but it's, the idea is to keep them away from you. I'm doing these in kind of weird order because they're not even in alphabetical order. But And the third one for 6th level is Legend Lore. By means of this spell, the magic user seeks to gain knowledge of some legendary item per place in... Place in? Place in place or person. I'm sorry I'm doing so many. It is necessary for the referee to decide if the sought-after thing is in fact legendary in the scope of his campaign. Such a spell requires great conjuration, so the time necessary can range from days to weeks. Roll percentiles. So 1 to 100 days. Oftentimes this information gained through the spell will come in the form of a riddle or a poem. And that's a 7th level spell. Yeah. Not very earth-shaking compared to whatever. Or you just go ask a sage or a bard. Okay. But hey, I got a sixth level spell that does their job. <clears throat> anyway. And speaking of spells, seventh level. Now, here's what's interesting on the seventh level spells. Like I said, we're in clerics. Or cleric, no, I mean magic user spells. Here's what it says after seventh level spells. Spells with no saving throw unless otherwise indicated. So if it doesn't say there's a saving throw for seventh level spells, you don't get one. Yeah, that's, that's that old school for you. It's not save or die, it's just frickin' die. Alright, delayed blast fireball. That favorite screw you to the player characters. We killed the bad guy. Then, what, how long is it? Uh, delayed up to ten turns. So, ten rounds, I'm sorry. Ten, ten melee turns. Or one movement turn. Boom. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, the spell is fireball, which can be thrown in timed with regard to its blast. It's just like normal fireball. But note, it says no saving throw, so suck it up, buttercup. Reverse gravity. This spell affects a cubic area of three inches, causing gravity within that area to reverse itself. Those with the air fall upwards with the force of a normal fall. Note the consequences when the spell is negated. Duration is one melee turn. Range is nine inches. Lots of arguments about how far you could fall in one turn exactly. So you break out your, your physics your physics books and figure it out. Limited Wish, a spell which alters reality, past, present, or future, but only within limited bounds. It cannot create or bring any form of treasure, for example, and only a portion of a wish might actually occur. See the Ring of Three Wishes in the other book. Um, power Word Stun, when this word is spoken, any creature... At any creature, it will stun it from 2 to 12 turns if the creature has up to 35 hit points. If the creature is between 35 and 70 hit points, stun lasts 1 to 6 turns. It has no effect with creatures over 70 hit points. Note, still no saving throw. Phase door. Uh, a spell which causes an invisible door to open for the caster. The door is exactly similar to pass wall, except that it is invisible 
and only the magic user who casts the spell can use the door. It lasts, lasts for seven uses, then vanishes. It may be dispelled with the dispel magic. Only if such spells are cast by a combined level of magic, which is not less than twice the level of a caster of the phase door. Woohoo! Charm plants, which is actually kind of lame in a lot of ways. It's, you know, druid spell, but hey, it's under the seventh level magic user spells. Charm plants. This spell charms the equivalent of one large oak, six medium sized bushes, 12 small shrubs, or 24 little plants. These charm plants will do anything the caster demands as long as it was in their ability to comply. For example, combined with several magic mouth spells, the plant could act as a warning system. Duration until dispelled, range 12 inches. So actually there's nothing in here about plant-like creatures. You just charm a tree. Yes, there's, there's that long gap of silence in there for you to think about. What do you do? I charm the tree. Look at the branches on that thing. Oh, yeah. Put the whore in horticulture. Anyway. <coughs> should, should I do the explicit tag for that last bad joke? Mass invisibility. You make mass invisible. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this spell is similar to invisibility, except it affects as many as six dragon-sized objects, or from 100 to 300 men and horses. You hide an army. Duration until dispelled. Not till somebody attacks, until it's dispelled. Smackerum. I can never say that word. A spell which creates a duplicate form only of a the person the magic user desires to duplicate. In order to make a complete Smackerum, several other spells are necessary. If snow is not available, the user must cause an ice storm from which to fashion the form. So, you need snow? You're making Frosty the frickin' snowman. When the form is completed, he must then use a spell to animate it. Finally, a limited wish must be used to give the form personality and knowledge similar to the real person which it imitates. The no event will Solomakram have the full abilities, knowledge level, etc. of what it imitates, but it will range from 30 to 60% of each of them. It's possible to detect a Solomakram with a detect magic spell, close association, and so forth. If a real person confronts the Solomakram, the real person will be easily identifiable. If, however, the real person is dead, will slowly gain the abilities of the former person 1% per week until it reaches 90% similarity in all respects. Beyond this, it cannot go. At all times, it remains the thing of its creator, and whatever its creator tells it to do, it will comply. I'm just still, like, totally like, what the hell? Why do you need snow? Snow? Monster Summoning 5, it's like 4, but one more. All right, and Extension 3, it's like Extension 2, but one more. It goes up to 5th level spells. And you know what? I think that's enough for me, uh, murdering 7th level spells. Next episode, we are going to go on to the 8th level spells. Actually, we're still on Magic User Spells, because guess what? You look at this. <gasps> clerics have their own section on spells. That's right. I get to ramble on Cleric Spells. I'm sure they're going to be exciting of making Frosty the frickin' snowman. But here we are, 8th level spells next week, kids. It's going to be fun. I know it is. This has been a fun episode. So anyway, I want to thank you for listening. 
please visit the Facebook page. Just look for They Might Be Gazebos. Hey, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash They Might Be Gazebos. We have a YouTube channel. It has a garbly gook URL because no one subscribed to it because I just did that today. But hey, there's going to be links in the show notes and there's links on the Patreon and there will be links on the blog. And like us on Facebook if you like. Hey, anyway, thanks for listening. Remember, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff, have fun. And you know what? Eat whatever pizza you want, play whatever game you want to play. And that's how it rolls. <laughs>